Good morning, family. I'm Virginia, grateful recovering alcoholic. Real glad to be sober and real glad to be here. You need to know I'm not normally the Saturday morning hoochie, <laughs> but I'm always where I should be when I should be there. I have to tell you that I have a threefold disease, and it's physical, mental, and spiritual, so I therefore need a threefold power as my higher power, and I have God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, don't panic. <laughs> Because I do uh, know that uh, I'm, I'm just unable to be left alone. You know, I'm just <laughs> unable to be left alone. And, and I didn't get here by drinking too much lemonade. <laughs> didn't get here by hanging out in the wrong places. I did get here with some credentials, and, and I need to warn you, because Clancy told me to always give them a chance to leave. You know, if you hear from the gay community, the funny farm, the lonely house club, the straight community, and you're looking for something other than what God has done for me in my life and through the Fellowship of Alcoholic Anonymous, then I, I just invite you to just get on out of here while you still can, while you still got some mind left. Because if you had done for me what God had done for me, I would talk about you this morning. <laughs> I was a broke-down, uh, mixed-up kid, and, and uh, I was one of them kids that Cliff talked about last night. You know. I just love him. I, I just got to tell you that I just I just love this, the people that carry the message of Alcoholic Anonymous, and 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 I'm just fanatically impressed with how we've been able to do that with the struggles that we've gone through in the last few years. Alcoholics and does alcoholics and this. Well, I think we ought to talk about this today. You know, I think we ought to talk about that today. This program does not exclude anybody. You're lying to me. <laughs> you know, it 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 excluded me when. When I came in here with, and to tell my sponsor, my sponsor was picked out for me because I, I didn't have, they told me I didn't have sense enough to pick out a sponsor. Uh, they, in the, the days that I came in, April 8, 1966, more dead than alive, they said, uh, a girl called on me, an old timer called on me, and she brought a guy with her, and he panicked, you know, because I said, well, I got some liquor in the house. And uh, I ain't gonna pour it out because I have too much respect for liquor. Now, but I will pour out the cold forty fives that I had to chase it with. <laughs> so I found my cold forty fives and I poured one down the sink. As I opened the pop the cap, the guy almost had a stroke. He had a couple of years in the program, and he said, and she says she ain't gonna drink it. She's too sick. The hairs on my head hurt. I was so sick. You know, and, and, and there was all that desperation and that fear. If you live in that cellar for a long time and you fall beneath the trap door, let me tell you, if you haven't finished drinking, you can't fall beneath the trap door in the cellar, and it gets real bad down there. I mean, alligators nipping at your tails and whales and stuff, walking around, flinching their mouth, getting ready to chew you up and spit you out and chew you up again. You know, and so that's what happened to me on the way to you. I got real ready. And so when this little quiet, mealy-mouthed, soft-spoken housewife drunk <laughs> called on me to bring me the message of recovery, I was in a state of shock. I thought, my God, you know, why would they send me somebody like this? You know, this woman don't know nothing about the street. She don't know nothing about poverty. She was a middle-class housewife. Jesus Christ. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a ghetto kid, a, a poverty, member of poverty area, learned how to steal out the Sunday school trade, learned how to 
play with the boys when you wasn't even supposed to know what, what they had. You know, I, I'm one of those kind of kids. And, and, and I was drinking at 13 and, and doing my own little thing, you know. So I, I don't understand why God would send me somebody as square as this. She couldn't even curse, you know. And I stopped cursing, too. Clancy told me one day it was not becoming. It, I didn't need it where I was going. I didn't know where I was going, but I thought, who in the blankety-blank does he think he is telling me what to say? It ain't what you say around this program. The worse off you are, the better off you are. You know, and that was a lie, too. You know, I told myself a lot of lies when I got here. So I'm in Alcoholic Anonymous with this little square sponsor, and she comes up to my door, and she's grinning all over the place. And she's so glad to have me, I thought she was a lesbian. <laughs> she said, I'm just so glad to have you. I'm just so glad to have you. I was her first baby. She had like four or five years, and, and they allowed her to. They said, this one, Gwen, this one needs you. You go and pick her up and take her to meet us. She's wild and she's crazy. You know, but you go get her. And, and, and that little woman brought me her little simplicity, and she says, I want to share life with you. I want to take you to some people that's going to help you to stay sober and learn how to live. Well, I know how to live. Just help me to get sober. You know, just help me to get these, this booze out of my system, this tiger out of my tank. Just help me to get to where I can stand on my own two feet. I'm okay. If I get sober, man, I might become president of this United States, anything, anything. you know, because I'm, I'm real smart. I'm so smart. My sister told me one day, oh, if you keep drinking, you're going to run your mind. You have such a good mind. It would be sad to run your mind. I said, it doesn't make any difference. If I lose half my mind, I'll be smarter than most people. You know, <laughs> if I don't know it, it ain't worth knowing. Don't don't tell me anything. Don't ask. Tell me anything. Just ask me. You know, and, and that was my attitude. Totally belligerent. Totally in denial of the handicap that I had placed myself in. Totally lost. Pieces of the puzzle of my life were just scattered here and there, to and fro, and I didn't know which way to go. I, I remember my spouse telling me one day, "You take this thing just too far." And I said, man, you don't know where I've been. And you ought to be glad I take this thing too far because you wouldn't still be breathing. On many occasions when I go in and out the door, mentally masturbating with insanity. Anybody mentally masturbate with insanity and sobriety? Well, you know you can get impregnated. It reminds me of the joke when the guy said, God, I'm tired of going to work every morning, leaving my wife in bed and coming back. She sits around all day watching a soap opera. It's got to make me a woman for one day. Let me loaf around and let me do all this stuff. So God said, okay. So the next morning when he woke up, he had the boobs and, and, and he had this long curly hair and, and his wife looked like the man. And so she got up and got dressed to go to work. And, and he got up and went downstairs and started fixing breakfast to wake up the kids. Anyway, he had such a hectic day. By the time he thought that simple thing was going on. And that night when he got through washing and doing the laundry, running to the bank, running to the cleaners, picking the kids up from school, fixing dinner, you know, and all that stuff, cleaning the house and all that stuff, he went to bed and she wanted sex. He said, God, I'm tired. But he had to give us some sex. So he gave up some sex. And, and the next morning he said, God, t please make me back a man. He said, I, I can't handle another day like that. He said, okay. 
Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll do that. I'll turn you back into a man. But you're going to have to wait nine months because she got pregnant last night. <laughs> <laughs> so if you mentally masturbate, you might get pregnant. And I paid attention at my very first meeting because they had primed me. They told me the truth about my disease. They said, you're not going to get over here and get rescued overnight and start feeling normal and genuine and bring all your troubles to us. We know you have a ton of chicken doo-doo, and you've been trying to make chicken soup out of it. It doesn't work. No matter how much garlic and onion and celery and bay leaves you put in it, it's still chicken doo-doo. I bought that. You may have some winter, summer, spring, and fall seasons in your life because you have been out there doing your thinker is broke. It's going to take a little while to get it fixed. You're going to have to keep coming back. You're going to have to do what we say. You know, if you had a recipe that would work, your best thinking got you here, so we know your recipe doesn't work. So you just keep on coming back and you do what we say, and you will get better. They didn't say you will get cured, you will get well, you're going to be happy. Just skip over here, and if you have any troubles, call your sponsor. No, you can't call me when you have troubles. Call God. Because you're going to have some troubles. You, got, you, you, you know, you got eight kids, and you ain't got no money. You got a gambling husband. You, ain't, you can't pay the rent. You know, they used to take me home from the meeting and sit with me until the landlord's car would pull off him in front of my house. Because I didn't have his $75 to give him for renting his house. And one night they said to me, you've been with us long enough. I want you to get out of the car and go over there and tell the man the truth. And I said, they must be crazy. He's got a three-day notice. He's going to put me out. And in California at that time, when you got a three-day notice, you better get out of the marshal to come put you out in three days. So I didn't have anywhere to go with eight kids, no money, no hope, no love, no family member to depend on. But they told me I had to do what they said, you know. And so they had bought me a little tablet. I started writing the 12 steps down, skipping pages between each one. And I had wrote down that my life was unmanageable. My thinking was unmanageable. My pocketbook was unmanageable. It was empty. You know, I couldn't pay the rent. I couldn't keep them from turning the telephone off. I couldn't feed the kids. I couldn't do anything. And I get out this car with all them fears. And, and you talk about masturbation, boy, I was fingering so-and-so in my mind something terrible that night. And I walked over to the car, and I don't know what to say. But this program had already taken roots in my soul somewhere along the way because what I said to him, Mr. Simpson, I do not have any money. I don't know when I'll get any, but when I get some, I'll give you some of it. He said, well, I'll be dang. That's the first time you told me the truth in five years. <laughs> I'll wait for you. I said, my God. This thing works, you know. I became a deputy sheriff in L.A. County for the sole purpose of protecting my right to drink. You know, but that was, that was the only reason. And, and by sheer accident and uh, in, in a terrific hangover, I went to the sheriff's department instead of going to LAPD. That's what I saw. I saw the cruising car on the way to the liquor store one night. And I said, I'm going to join the police department, because my neighbors kept warning me. I moved from uh, Nebraska to California, and they said, now, you know, we keep hearing you walking out your door at night. I had a real loud, squeaky door. And they said, we hear you moving around all night. Where are you going? You can't walk the streets in L.A. They'll arrest you or somebody will knock you in the head. And I thought, well, I can take care of both of them problems. I joined the police department. <laughs> you know, 
because I still got to protect my right to go get my liquor, you know. And I, I'm going in and out and in and out, and I see LAPD, and I said, I'm going to go down there in the morning and join that police department. But I got so crazy, I went into the sheriff's department, and my husband said, they're going to lock you up for even applying. <laughs> you know, you're a disgrace to humanity, least of all the, the, the law enforcement. And he was a probation officer. And so I, I, I did, somehow or another, through the grace of God, I got past that place, and, and I became a disgrace to that department. You know, I had a sergeant that chased me for nine years. He said, one day I'll catch you. He said, you, you're drunker now than you was when you came on duty, but one day I'm going to catch you. And I said, SOB, you ain't smart enough to catch me. And he wrote me up, but he didn't have my proof that I said it. So one more time, the alcoholic got away cool. You know, I got away from that blankety-blank, weak-minded so-and-so <laughs> trying to match me, you know. And so it went, and so it went. But as, as the miracle occurred in my life and the landlord did not put me out and the AA members would send eight hot dogs and eight buns for the eight kids, a little box of cornflakes and, and a quart of milk and a, a one-pound box of sugar and say, feed the kids breakfast, we'll pick you up. Sometime during the day, we'll pick you up. You just be ready. Get up, feed the kids. And they made sure that the kids had a meal. And they sent just enough for the kids. And I'm hanging around the clubhouse as much as possible because I, I don't have anywhere else to go. And that's the only people that was willing to pick me up and tolerate me. And I'm mooching cigarettes. I want you to know cigarettes cost one cent each at that time. And I could not buy a cigarette. People wasn't throwing away pennies like they do now. Because I'd looked all over the ground, all over the club, trying to find one cent to go over to that liquor store so I could buy a cigarette. And I sit around and mooch, and I didn't think the old timers were paying any attention to me. So one day a guy comes in the door, and I said, can you spare a cigarette? He said, sure. And the old timer hollered, come here. Take this quarter. Go out there and get on the bus. Go up on the 103rd and find you some kind of work. You've been mooching cigarettes long enough around here. They wouldn't let me take the cigarette the man was trying to give me. <laughs> and gave me one-way bus fare. S-O-B, you know. I went up on 103rd because I'm still scared not to do what they tell me. I figure if I can just stick long enough and get this recipe, I can master this recipe, then I can tell you to go to you know where. Okay? So uh, I'm following their direction and I'm fussing in my head. Them old so-and-sos know they, they, they don't have no one-way bus fare. They got cars out there. Somebody could have took me up on 130. It ain't that far. You know, and I'm just blessing them out, you know. But I go anyway. Because on the outside, i got to act like I'm doing what you told me. And I go up there on 103rd, and the guy said, well, we don't have anything to offer. We have such an overwhelming waiting list, but I'll give you two bus tokens to go to Long Beach. So he gave me two bus tokens. I then had bus fare. And I went to Long Beach, and the guy said, well, we only take care of Long Beach residents in, in, in this school, but if you tell me the uh, address to the house behind the school that's vacant, I'll assume you're moving in there tomorrow. So I walk out of the school, go around the back, and look at the address, come back and give it to him. He hands me a slip. He said, take this across the hall. I took it across the hall. They hand me a check with $100. And they said, if you go over to the post office, they'll cash it for you. So I left home with nothing, following some drunks to an AA hall, listened to them old timers talking. I came back with 100 bucks. That ain't bad. <laughs> that ain't bad at all. And what I'm trying to paint for you is that the miracles start happening without me 
even understanding. I hear so much talk today about I don't understand. I didn't understand. I don't even know what you are. You're some kind of cult, but it's okay with me because I've been in everything that there is to be in, you know, so it's all right with me. I'm just experiencing certain things. Another thing that started happening to me, I started going to sleep at night instead of passing out. And I woke up in the morning instead of coming to. You know, I'm not walking around with as much impending doom that I came in there with. You know, it is possible that that woman at that podium that day was so crazy, she looked like an idiot, she was dressed like an idiot, she was talking like an idiot, because she was making half sentences, and, and she didn't make no sense. She was about 60 years old, she was dressed like she was 10. And she said, if you decide if you want what we have, oh my God, I don't want what you got. She had on a pinafore and knee socks and, and a bonnet matching the pinafore. And I said, oh, God. And I looked back at her, and she looked so happy and so peaceful. And I said, oh, okay, God. Knee socks and bonnet, if it has to be, it has to be. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, I just want that look that's in her eyes. And so I started spotting something differently from the material blessings that I had been getting. I started picking out people that I wanted to be like. Heard Chuck C. talk early in sobriety, and I wanted what he had instantly. And, and, and I went to his house a couple of days afterwards, and I, I thought if I could have a private audience with him, he could give me the secrets, the handshake and, you know, and all that, and, and a membership card. And I, I went out there on an empty gas tank, and my car was running hot that God gave me, you know. And, and I climbed that hill 40,000 feet above sea level, and I got in the door. And in that door, I saw something else that I never had. When Elsie opened the door, there was like an ocean of peace. And, and the house was full of love. And there was a congenial relationship going on. I ain't never had that. I ain't never had a long-term quality relationship with nobody, you know. And I entered that room, and I went for the purpose of getting a couple of bucks for some gas. And, you know, when gas was 10 cents a gallon or something like that, 12 cents. And, and I went for the purpose. Maybe he'll give me a couple of dollars. And he didn't give me anything except the advice that my sponsor, that little square-minded sponsor gave me. Go home and take an inside shower and use the 12 steps of alcoholic anonymous for your soap and towel. I did that. <coughs> And I left out of there thinking, they don't care. He stood up there the other night telling all them lies about how much he loved the alcoholic, sending me back down here, and I told him my gas tank was on empty when I came. He said, you'll make it back home. And I made it back home, got in the yard, and the car go clunk. Wouldn't start no more. It was out of gas. <laughs> Went out there on empty, came back on empty. But I came back with more than what I understood as a, as a foundation that I had to build to walk on in this program. Nothing has been given to me without my efforts, and sometimes those efforts was being still and being quiet, and sometimes those efforts are just letting it happen because you don't know no better. You don't know what to do, so you don't do nothing. I looked at my family, and Cliff described them last night. They were crazy, crazy, crazy kids I had. Sick folks raised sick kids, by the way, you know. And, and, and until something happens, I took my whole family to a marriage counselor, family counselor. 
at the Jewish Federation in, in West Hollywood. We all went up there two weeks, and a woman examined the kids and my spouse, and then on the second week she said, they are fine, but you keep coming back. <laughs> I was appalled. How dare you? Don't you know that's the compulsive gambling man? That's the man that hasn't brought home a paycheck in years. That's the man that beats the living daylights out of me when I'm drunk. Those are the kids that are going in and out of juvenile hall. Those are the kids that keep getting into trouble. They're all running me crazy. They drive me to drink. She said, yeah, I know. You keep coming back. <laughs> so far, yeah, I went for family counseling by myself. There comes a time where I believe that you cannot read upon good sobriety. You cannot talk upon good sobriety. You cannot think upon good sobriety. I am eternally grateful that the giants of Alcoholic Anonymous allowed me to stand on their shoulders. I'm grateful that God picked out for me the sponsors that he did. I'm grateful that I have been able to listen and to do even when I did not believe. And I used to pray a prayer, God, I was so glad when I found that in the Bible that helped my unbelief. I said, now you know, I want to believe. My sponsor asked me one day, uh, do you have the capacity to be honest? I said, what is capacity? She said, do you want to want? I said, yeah, I want to want. Yeah, yeah, I want to want something better than what I got. Yeah, I want to want to find out how to live, how to be freed from the bondage of self, because I was totally wrapped up in myself. I can remember a day when I recognized that I was powerless and that I could not manage my own body I was a bathing drunk without soap, but I bathed all day. Never used any soap because half the time I didn't have any if I had somebody to save for the kids. And so I get in a tub of hot water and just soak, and then I could climb out, and I felt a little bit cleaner. I felt so dirty, so rotten, and, you know, full of bewilderment, frustration, loneliness, and despair. And when you get that way, you have to keep trying to do something to get rid of it. A lot of things you substitute at the times you don't have enough to drink. And I had done that. All that it did is just push me further down into the cellar. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going around here now, and I'm trying to just listen and trying to get a hold of this thing, trying to make sense out of it, because it ain't making no sense. I have never discovered in Alcoholic Anonymous the solution that matches the problem exactly. For instance, when you're deep down in deep doo-doo and you're in deep trouble, they say, help another drunk. Help another drunk, I can't help myself. You know, and being a survivor, uh, if, I, if everybody's going to die, I want to be the one that crawls out of the hole before the bomb goes off. But when I helped another drunk, I remember with two weeks in the program, a new girl walked in the door, my sponsor said, go welcome that new lady. Tell her how you stay sober. I said, how do I stay sober? I don't even know what I'm doing. How can, <laughs> how can I help her? She said, tell us she can stay sober for two weeks because you did it with a mountain of troubles. So that's precisely what I did. I said, you can make it. I'm Virginia. I'm glad that you're here. You can stay sober because I've been sober two weeks and I got a whole mountain of troubles <laughs> and a house full of crazy kids, you know. So, but you can stay sober two weeks, I know. And you know what? She's still sober. I went up to another one with my street self and I said to her, 
I noticed that uh, I've been here about three or four months, and every time I turn around, you you come back in saying you just got through drinking again. I think you're a beautiful lady. She was an educator in the school system, and I think you're going to hurt a lot of kids if you destroy your life. So I took my $2. My sponsor gave me $2 to buy myself something, and, and let me tell you what I bought. I bought a tube of red, blood red lipstick, I bought a bottle of cologne that big for 39 cents. Smelled like dandelions. <laughs> and I bought a wedding band for this lady that I wanted to see sober. And when she got out of her car, I looked around. I didn't see any of the old timers. And I said, because I, I had something planned for her, you know, and I didn't want them to hear me because they, they'll correct you. And, and I walked up to her and I said, I bought you a wedding band. You are not married to Alcoholic Anonymous, and if you try to divorce it again, I'm going to kick the S out of you. <laughs> and I slid it on her finger, and I had my first thread in Smonsi. And she said, she believed me. And I said, I'm glad you did, because I really meant it. <laughs> you know. She died last year with 27 years of sobriety. And a husband called me in Florida, where I'd moved from California, and he said, I still have that wedding band. And I think that somehow or another you made a mistake and gave her a gold wedding band, because all these years it has never turned brown. I started to say, send it back, boy, my stocks are falling. But, <laughs> but I didn't. I said, put it on her hand and put it in the grave with her. It is through the grace of God that it hasn't turned brown. And it's through the grace of God that I, Virginia, the stumbling, bumbling, falling down drunk, the one that sat on the apple crates with the guys behind the liquor store, and I sat on apple crate with guys and drank wine out of their bottle, and they hadn't had a bath in 10 years and brushed their teeth in 20. I'm that kind of a drunk. And, and now you don't have to become a low-bottom drunk. For God's sake, all of you who haven't gone that far, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to go that far. And I believe that's the only reason that God gave me the extension on my life is to be able to tell drunks who come here, and Dr. Silkworth says, the reason we don't stay sober is we come in here trying to not follow directions. Mm -hmm. It's so simple. It's so simple. You come in as an alcoholic, and I'm one who believes and has experience. If you have a dual, triple re uh, addiction, you need a dual or triple recovery process until you can find the center of your being and find yourself and apply this program to your life to overcome the ain't it awfuls. Five percent of my problem was drinking. Ninety-five percent of my problem is thinking. Let me give you an example of the thinking that I do today. Uh, day before yesterday, I woke up and I, I, I'm one who has to do meditations about an hour every morning. I have to go into some portion of the big book and I got a meditation book, and I got a principal book that I work on. And so during the morning, I eat a spiritual breakfast even when I don't have a physical one. And so that morning, uh, on uh, Thursday morning, it was go out and spread the good news. That's, that's the summary I got out of my readings. And when I finished, and I said, okay, today I will not uh, sin. I will not self-inflict any nonsense in my life. And, and, and I'm going to spread the good news of Alcoholic Anonymous. And when I go to my meeting today, I won't get mad at the preachers that are preaching the thou shall not. 
I won't get mad at the I'm an alcoholic and uh, and uh, and uh, you know uh, I'm just gonna sit there and, and, and I'm gonna be good and, and you know what happened that day was a glorious flowing day as I release the reins and, and become interested in remembering that I am the clay and God is the potter and all that I have done in Alcoholic Anonymous for on Tuesday will be 36 years. One day at a time, I believe I'm going to make it to Tuesday. You know. And, and all that I've done is follow directions until it became a part of my life. And William James, the psychiatrist, says that spiritual growth is so gradual you can't tell when you're in it. You have to look back and see where you've been. And so as I look back and see where I have been, I know that God is leading me someplace beyond my wildest drunken dreams. If I had been able to write my agenda, I would have cheated myself. And I'm so grateful to God that uh, we were together at a, a Desta Island. Uh, was that a Desta? Yeah, a Desta. And so we were sitting, I got up early that morning. I beat them all up because I'm an early riser and I made the coffee and I was sitting on the patio talking with God. And then I asked him for a special blessing. I said, now God, because it was my 35th birthday, and I said, now, God, I am your child. I am here to give your children your message. Kindly tell me what to say. And it took him a minute. I guess he chuckled. <laughs> and, and I looked out at the ocean, and, 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 and it's like I was looking at my whole life just flashed before me. I saw the little barefoot, hungry, motherless, fatherless kid in Louisiana, and I raised him up to Nebraska running the streets in high school and, and dropping out of high school in the eighth grade. And then I ran across my drunken world, my adult drunken world. And he said, now you go tell them that. You will never be able to tell them anything to help them. You will only be able to always to share with them. And anybody interested in sharing what you share can be assisted in their sobriety, progress. And that's all you can do, kid. So I, I got so sick of myself, I didn't know what to do. I said, how dare you try to find a new approach to God to come up with getting something extra. And it was a smooth, wonderful convention, you know. And so one day at a time, I just learned to live. Now, let me let you in on another little secret. It has not all been a lot of summertime land in my sobriety. I so admire those people that, that come in here and they find the, I know it wouldn't work for me, but they find the secrets they, they, they put a little agenda around themselves. They don't participate where they will get bent out of shape. They don't participate where they are not received. They don't sponsor people who are difficult to work with. You know, they don't want to talk to crazy people that go up and down. Now, I'm here to tell you that 90% or 95% even now of my life is just fabulous. You know, it, it is smooth. Don't have everything that I need. Got kids that don't want to talk to me even sober, as spiritual as I am. And you can plainly see that I'm a very spiritual woman. Okay, I got a couple of kids that don't like me. They say, you're not our cup of tea. We wish we had another mother. You know. I got a wonderful man that I'm married to. And half of the time I'm looking at him wondering, what the hell did I marry him for? <laughs> In fact, it was just Thursday. Thursday was my day. You know, I like giving out good news because you also get good news. A young man was standing behind me in line at the post office, 
And I told Susan about this, and this, this is really trip you out. You know, uh, and he said, lady, not only do you look good, where you work out at? He said, but you smell good and your vibes are good. I thought, my God. So I turned and I looked at him and he says, I said, son, how old are you? He said, I'm 50. And I said, he said, next month I'll be 51. I said, next month I'll be 71. <laughs> now, I ain't crazy enough to reach back and grab nothing 20, 25 years younger than me. <laughs> so I went home and my old man looked good to me again. <laughs> This is a wonderful, fabulous program. My journey in sobriety has been thoroughly integrated with winter, summer, spring, and fall seasons. It has been thoroughly integrated with just enough for me to keep doing it. And I discovered the secrets from the old timers. Uh, Chuck told me when, when uh, I was asked, what kind of sobriety do you want? You know, you, you don't understand that you've got to make a decision. You know, we usually float in here, we're hurting real bad, if you're my kind of drunk. And, 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 and there's no more wonderful place in the world to float into when you're hurting real bad. Because I don't care if you come from the nut house, the funny farm, the crazy place, and you come in. We used to have a guy from the circus, he'd walk into the meeting, stand on his head in the corner during the whole hour and a half of the meeting. And nobody ever said anything to him, you know. We used to have a girl that come in in a bikini. Nobody ever said anything to her. Big fat girl, high. She didn't even look vulgar or naked. She just, she just looked like a fat girl that had a string around her waist, you know. <laughs> but we loved her anyway, you know. I came in wearing sequin dresses to 12 o'clock noon meetings, pay less sandals. They didn't say anything to me for a long time, but the old biddies got together with my sponsor. And like I wasn't there, I can remember it was on a Friday, and they said, you coming to the Saturday noon meeting? She said, yeah, bring that baby with you. We got some stuff we want to tell you about her. There's some things she needs to do. Like I wasn't there. And so she picks me up and brings me to the meeting, and afterwards the old biddies take us to the coffee shop, and they told her, when she comes to a meeting, she can have a cup of coffee. At the break time, she can have another cup. At the end, she can have a cup. Until that time, she sits her butt down at the front of the room. Because if she's at the back, she might drift off and miss out. She cannot come to meetings anymore and them dresses up to Yang Yang showing her stuff. Because we don't want to see it. And ain't nobody here need it. So... She don't need to wear them no more. I wore a sequin dress off the shoulders up to Yang Yang, and I thought I had it going on. And out of that, uh, uh, with that red lipstick, I made me some face powder. I used some cocoa and some flour, and I mixed it up. And I put some Vaseline on for the moisturizer. And I rubbed a little ridge on the cheeks, and, and the lips was blood red all across my face. And I had on these sexy clothes, and I thought I had it going on. Now, you can just imagine, if you haven't been there, just say yeah. Because if you drink again, you might just get there. <laughs> Very diseased I was. And I, I hang around these places, and I, I, and I still listen, and I still learn. And I thank God for the grace to hear. You know. And I hear myself. I take time for self. You know. Not anybody's disrag today. Of a doormat, you know. My spouse doesn't like Jacksonville, and I love Jacksonville. 
and you know who's going to win out, right? Because I ain't about to give up. I want to tell you one more miracle before I tell you that story. Uh, what happened uh, during my, all my years in sobriety is I never was released from the bond of poverty of money. And, and, and I had just hungered for that, you know. And I never was released to have a long-term quality relationship until I got to you. And then when you told me the ingredients and told me why I never had had a long-term quality relationship that I had settled for some things, I began to apply these principles to my life, and, and I began to see quality taking place. And I married my present husband in the program of recovery. And I believe I'm as close to a wholesome relationship with him as I could ever be with anybody, because I don't think anybody else could tolerate me. You know, I don't think that any other man could put up with me and my action and my devotion to this program, because if you call me at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, meet me in Canada, I'm out of there. I don't even wake him up. I've, I've been on my way to Switzerland, and, and, and he'd say, uh, I called home, and he said, well, on the way home, you better bring some bread. I said, but I'm, I'm not passing the bakery. <laughs> I'm in Switzerland. You're in where? And when, I, and when I leave here, I'm going to uh, New Zealand, you know. And, and so I've been trudging this road and running all over the place. And I don't think anybody else would have the patience and tolerance to deal with me. And the other thing was my divorce from poverty. I sold my house in California, and I'm getting ready to move to Jacksonville. And I had purchased a house there. And the people that were buying my house told me they got laid off from Northrop and they couldn't buy the house because they couldn't borrow the fifteen, twenty thousand dollars they were going to get from the credit union. And I said, I'll give you the fifteen thousand. I only had twenty thousand left. And my husband looks at me and he says, You have lost your mind. <laughs> you know, you're always running around trying to make people think you're rich. And you poor as hell. You know, so I, I, I said Later, I'll give you the 20000 and And I said to him, if you want to stay married to me, you come on, go to escrow and sign these papers. You know, now that's, that's how crazy I am. And so the next morning we went there, he, of course, didn't speak to me all the way down and didn't speak to me all the way back. <laughs> and he says, well, I'm not going to Jacksonville with $5,000. I said, you're right, because I'm not either. I'm going to Vegas with some money. <laughs> So I don't know what I'll have left when I come back, but whatever I have left, that's what I'm going with. And when I get to Jacksonville, I'll get a job the next morning, and I'll, I'll find a way to make a living. And so we went to Vegas, and we were there about 15 minutes. I put $10 in my pocket because I'm a big-time spender. And I go down to play some nickels. And I stopped on the way down and bought a pack of cigarettes, so I had 7 bucks left. I put it in a nickel machine that he had tried to get me to go to another one. I said, no, I'm going straight. And I went straight, and I put it in, in about 5 minutes. I won uh, about $11,000 short of a million dollars on a nickel machine, five nickels. So, I am a fanatic about the 12 steps to recovery. Not just reading them, not just learning them, but doing them. I'm a fanatic. I do not sponsor people who will not take the 12 steps. I do not sponsor you when you want to tell me about your lovers, your man, your woman, your children. You know, because I've had every kind of problem. I put two kids in a cemetery in this program. Two kids. They were raised up in Alcoholic Anonymous. Could not buy addiction. And so, I am fanatically obsessed for myself. 
and you ought to be happy about that. I, I, I don't push you that far anymore if you're a sponsor. One girl told me a few months back, she said, you're the most patient woman I have ever seen. You listen to me, and you're so understanding. I said, yeah, been there, done that. And the only reason I'm able to listen to you is because I will never hear this crap again. <laughs> it is easy for me to receive you and be the channel that God is using for you to come through. But trust me again, never call me and tell me about what that man is still doing to you and he's been doing for 15 years. Take that crap to God. I don't tell God about my problems anymore as much as I did. I tell my problems how big my God is. I wake up in the morning and I do the best that I, I suit up this morning the best that I can do because I told, I was told when I was brand new that I was not obligated to look sober, to dress sober, to act sober, to be sober. So you get the best that I got on me this morning. Whatever's missing, you can just blame God for it. Because I ask him in the morning to show me what it is you'd have me to do that day. God, let me give my best and let me receive the best that you have lined up for me. I'm tremendously blessed with a real United Nation in Alcoholic Anonymous. I have a lot of people. And you know, I am an alcoholic because I had one guy in California that did not like me. And I had friends all over the world. And I was bothered that the one guy didn't like me. <laughs> and so I went to him and I said, have I done anything to you or anybody that you know or love? And he said, no. I said, is there anything I can do that you would like for me to have done with you? He said, no. I said, then what is the reason that you stopped speaking to me? He said, I don't like the way you talk. I said, oh, okay. I can accept that. And then later on he came back and he told me, he said, one day you said that God loves everybody equally. And I know that's not true. You said that God lets it rain on the saint and the sinner. You said that God, it gives God good pleasure to give all of us the kingdom. You said that you pray to God for people that come new to Alcoholic Anonymous that are atheists and agnostics. And I don't like that kind of talk. I said, I'm sorry. Well, you can be with God because I didn't come in here thinking like that. I came in here thinking that there was nobody on the face of the earth any better or as good as I was. I came in here thinking that I was the worst thing that God had ever made. And if you don't think that is hell to live with, one minute I'm really tops and I'm smart and I'm good and I'm sexy and I'm sharp, and the next minute I ain't nothing. That is, that's terrible. But that's the way I came to you. You molded me and made me through the grace of God. I have grace that is sufficient to any need. Very early in sobriety, I was given something. I was given a pamphlet to read because uh, I was a reader. And the chaplain at the VA where I was training this in LVN said, Virginia, because uh, I was real crazy that morning. And I went to the chapel hoping somebody had some leftover prayers in there that would bounce off on me. And, he, and I was coming back down the hall because it was closed for repairs. And he said, Virginia, I got something for you. He gave me a little pamphlet that I know today 
was God's way of welcoming me to Alcoholic Anonymous and, and for entreating me to become a part of this fellowship and this program. And on the cover of that little meditation book was Be Still and Know That I Am God. I am in all creation. I have enwrapped myself in you. Know this, my child. This is the truth that is setting you free. Ah, God is wrapped up in me. I got a lot of stuff on pile up on top of him. But all I got to do is keep uncovering, discovering, and discarding. And pretty soon I reach the entire section of my being, the God being within me. The, the, the message of Alcoholic Anonymous moves from my head to my heart. And it comes back up and gets deoxygenated in the soul. And then one day, my soul just opens up. And when your soul opens up, you ain't never the same. People can threaten you. Transactions can take place. And what happened to me in the last six to eight months, in the last year and four months, really, it was unbelievable. I, that money I told you that I won after I got to paying Uncle Sam and, and investing and starting a business, you know, uh, it was gone. And I sat on the patio after my banker left and told me what, how much money I had lost that morning. And then I looked at my business, and on September 11th, I just contaminated myself in activities with uh, praying. I, I got out of myself and my losses. I got out of myself. And I found myself saying, God, please bless America indeed. You know, I started praying for my country. And I started, because I've been over in that section of the country. And I've, I've been around and I've seen a lot of stuff. And I knew we were in deep duty. We were fighting a war that was entirely different. So I started praying. And I started working. And, 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 and I, I started asking God, what is it that you'd have me to do? For God's sake, give me an agenda. You know, <laughs> you keep hiding behind the podium. You keep running my assignments. And I'll take care of your thing. You need to sell this business and get out of it. And I sold the business. Started another one uh, a year ago on the beach in the beach area. But I sold the business that was my heart, that was my lifelong dream. Since a little girl when I was five years old and could not buy a five cent ice cream cone, I wanted an ice cream parlor. And so I built an ice cream parlor, family ice cream parlor, and I had to let it go. You know, had to let it go. So I let everything go because God revealed to me that I gave it to you. If I took it away, I took it away for a reason. And I can bring it back. So I'm in the process of waiting, patiently doing my little assignment. And I would like to tell you that I'm totally at peace this morning. And I'm pretty much, I'd say 99% at peace. The 1% says... You forgot your blood pressure medicine, you left it in Jacksonville. The 1% says, you know, anything can happen. And then the program of Alcoholic Anonymous kicked in and it said, I'm the regulator, the processor of all systems in your body, in your mind and in your soul. I will handle that. And I did what I could do, and I suit up and I show up, and I admonish you to give this program all you got. And please remember, you cannot go to the dentist and tell him your rectum is bleeding. <laughs> he can only call 911 and get you some help. Please give this program all you got and take it for all that it serves. And at every meeting we read, Alcoholic Anonymous is.
take advantage of what is here. And I believe with everything in me, the rest will be overcome. But please do not tell yourself you're this and this and this. Because I don't know how to put a comma where God has put a period. I do know that something miraculous happens to people that are dumb enough to keep coming back. And you get the experience. You know, uh, I get to see healings taking place. You know, I don't get to send back what I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. No, but I get to observe. Uh, I have a little grandkid of this daughter that doesn't speak to me in California. He's a little actor, and he's making great strides in Hollywood. You know, so I, I keep in touch by grapevine, and I still send birthday cards and birthday gifts, and I do what I'm supposed to do. I've learned how to act instead of react. <clears throat> you know, I've learned how to observe instead of judge. I'm learning how to live the program of recovery because I want to recover. And I've experienced freedom from the bondage of self. You too can have what is here. Because I'm doing the same thing for the giants whose shoulders that I stand on uh, that they were doing when I came in. And I cannot believe it. You know, I cannot believe that I have taken the recipe and applied it to my life. It don't take much. It just takes all you got. <laughs> don't take much. It just takes all you got. I, I was given a birthday card, and I'll share this with you before I sit down. And it, was, uh, it had a Helen Steiner poem on the front of it. I read it over and over again until I got sober one day, and when my soul opened up, I went and bought me a Helen Steiner book of poems. But this one was very special to me because it was early in sobriety. And it goes, Bless us, Heavenly Father, forgive our errant ways. Grant us strength to serve you. Keep putting purpose in our days. Give us understanding, enough to keep us kind, so that we may judge each other with our hearts and not our minds. Help us to be faithful in everything we do. Let us stay content to trust your wisdom and to follow after you. Master, help us as we falter and hear us as we pray. Grant that we may walk hand in hand with you, with each other, each day. May God bless us and keep us coming back. Thank you for being here. <laughs>